This is Rico Renzi, colorist of Spider-Gwen and Squirrel Girl, and you are listening to Ultimate Spin. My name is Gwen Stacy. I went to a science demonstration, got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now have these amazing powers. To the residents of New York, I'm the dangerous vigilante called Spider-Woman. But you know me as Spider-Gwen. Now let's find out what I've been up to. Are you ready? Because it's time for the Ultimate Spin. This is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man fan podcast that follows the comic book adventures of both Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Jack, and coming up in this episode, the end is nigh as we discuss the penultimate issue of Spider-Gwen, issue 33. And even though his series is done, for now, we've still got some Miles news to catch up on as well. Hey there, my name is Brian, and as always, you've got a standing invitation to visit us at ultimatespinpodcast.com. You can learn more about us, find show notes, and follow along with everything that Jack and I will be discussing in this episode. Plus, you can download or stream shows for pretty much every Miles and Gwen issue to date. And if you're interested in going behind the scenes, we've got exclusive interviews with the writers and artists who bring our favorite spider heroes to life. And we're assuming you love these characters as much as we do, otherwise... Why would you be listening to a show dedicated to them? And if you do, you should drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com and tell us what you think of the stories, the conclusion of Miles' arc, the upcoming conclusion of Gwen's story as well. There's a lot of stuff going on right now, and we would love to hear from you to discuss it with you. And that includes the recent trailer for Into the Spider-Verse. Oh my goodness. I mean, I... I rambled on about it uh, in our last episode. Um, unfortunately, the timing meant that you couldn't join me. It came out, what, an hour after we finished <laughs> It was like the like next that. day. Something ridiculous. Something ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> it's looking good. Um, the hype is real. We're getting Miles and Gwen on the big screen together. It's like an ultimate spin listener's dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting because as we're recording this, there was some news that uh, there's a Silk movie in development. And okay, good luck with that. But part of me wondered if this Spider-Verse film and concept is sort of the backdoor sort of approach to creating a world of alternate spider characters. You know, would we see, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Silk somehow pop up in this movie as well, or maybe even Venom, like who knows? I, I think this might be a possible way for Sony to kind of get their spider characters together without anchoring it all. Or, you know, you have Spider-Man in this film, but then you you sort of set it up that you can bring the others in, even though Spidey isn't necessarily a part of it. The cinematic universe, the live action stuff, is in such a weird kind of gray area of the Marvel Universe right now. With the stuff that's going on with Venom, we've just had the announcement of the title of the sequel for Spider-Man Homecoming, so we know that's coming up soon as well. And it's this weird kind of gray area. So I'm appreciating the fact that they're just going to like, none of that matters. We're doing a totally different thing. This is animated. We're getting a bunch of the different spider characters in there. And like you said, Brian, I think it might be in the same way that the Edge of Spider-Verse and Spider-Verse event itself led to the Spider-Gwen series we now know and love. I wonder if this is then going to spin off into, oh, people really, really liked Gwen in this. Maybe we should give her her own TV show or movie or whatever and kind of use it as you said, almost like the the backdoor pilot technique where you introduce a character as a side story and then if they 
really catch on, you spin them off into their own thing. And I can totally imagine Marvel and Sony doing that. That would totally make sense. We'll see. But in the meantime, uh, even though no new book has been announced, Miles is still popping up here and there in the comic book universe. He recently showed up at the end of issue two of Venom by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. And he's getting ready to make a first like full appearance with issue three. Still recovering from his injuries, Eddie Brock, the wicked web-slinger known as Venom, has to defend New York City against the most powerful foe he's ever faced. The only thing standing in his way? Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Though Eddie and the symbiote have no qualms with this particular web-slinger, the same can't be said for Miles' feelings about Venom. Digging back to some Ultimate Universe continuity there, seeing as uh, a version of Venom killed Rio, who is now alive and well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, if they bring that up in some weird <laughs> I sort of killed your mum but not really oh, I don't know I dread to think um, But there's yeah, going to be a I, venom sting for sure there can't not be oh of course yeah a venom sting that will stop venom because it stops everything that's what it did last <laughs> time in uh, Civil War 2 zap goodbye oh you mean that half a panel <laughs> where it was right. the cover of the the issue was just half a panel that was completely <laughs> inconsequential to anything. Right. Thanks, comics. Uh, but this issue comes out next week, and I'm actually kind of tempted to, to check it out. I This is... It's a bit of a confession. I'm, I'm, I hope you don't mind, Brian, that I've come to you and the listeners to confess something Uh-oh. that I am deeply ashamed of. Oh, I quite like Venom. I, I don't. I don't I think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> well, a lot of Venom comics are really like '90s throwback, cash-in rubbish. But I really, really got into the Agent Venom stuff that Cullen Bunn was doing. Uh huh. That's and, Flash Thompson. Yeah, when Flash Thompson was taken over, and it was kind of this totally new twist on the character. The Eddie Brock stuff has never hugely resonated with me, but I did like. Um, I'm also one of the guys that quite enjoyed anti venom because apparently I'm a I'm a masochist. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, and I, the the main thing that's drawn me into this is I really like Donny Cates as a writer. I've enjoyed some of his work in Image and a couple other things, so I'm intrigued to see what he's doing with Venom. I haven't picked up this series yet, and now I'm kind of tempted to to go back and check the the first couple of issues and kind of catch up and see where Miles is up to, what he's been up to since being handed off by his dad, Mr. Brian Michael Bendis, and uh, kind of sent on his way into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I I will say I've seen a few um, preview panels, and Ryan Stegman has somehow managed to raise the bar on the artwork that he's putting out. I mean, I fell in love with the stuff when I started reading Superior, Spider-Man. Yes, one of my favorite Spider-Man runs for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But the panels that I've seen for this run of Venom have just been above and beyond uh, and I'm blanking on the colorist's name, but it's a it's a really interesting, unique like look that manages to be both warm and threatening at the same time. Um, <laughs> and the cover for issue three is phenomenal with the like tiny miles like collapsing into the maw of this venom creature. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to checking this out as well. All venom sting jokes aside, I think this will be a lot of fun. And we've also got a little bit of a uh, kind of Spider Verse almost twist um with something called spider geddon which is coming up and uh our old pal jason latour who you may very well know from spider gwen <laughs> um 
So we've got Edge of Spider-Geddon number three coming up later this year. And we're going to get some interesting interpretations of spider characters, including a spider Ben Parker? Spider Ben! As was well established, I wholeheartedly trust Jason Latour and his spider characters. He's done amazing things with Gwen, but wow, yeah. Peter and Ben teaming up as like a spider duo. I'm intrigued. Are, are you on board for this, Brian, or are you just kind of cautiously optimistic? This sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I admittedly was not a huge fan of Spider-Verse as an event, but I loved the books that were kind of around it. So the Edge of Spider-Verse miniseries that had happened, and I think there was like a team-up series that was happening um, kind of around the event. Those sort of one-shots and sidesteps were a lot of fun. So, I mean, the, the solicit for this sounds sounds wild. Uh, Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider, and it causes his Uncle Ben no end of troubles. Until that is, Ben gets shot in a mugging, and Peter's blood donation turns Ben into a spider hero, too. There's a new dynamic duo in town, and the story doesn't go where you think it will. Which is about, <laughs> that's right on par with this series, for sure. That sounds like Jason Latour. Yep. He's full of twist and turn. So when the solicit came out, uh, Jason had posted some concept art um, that he had done, as well as the artist on this book. I hope I pronounced this correctly. Tanchi Zanyik. This looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So maybe, who knows? Lightning could strike twice and we'll get a Spider-Man series. Who knows or dares to dream? <laughs> I don't really know much about like what Spider-Geddon is going to be uh, overall, but part of me is wondering if it will somehow lead into explanations as to what's next for Miles and Gwen and some of the other characters as well in terms of like relaunching their books or their stories or their characters. Um, I, I think it's, to me, it feels like it, it could be an opportunity to kind of clean house a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That would, that would totally make sense. And they used, uh, I mentioned we had Spider-Verse and you mentioned Brian as well, that we had that kind of spin off into other books, but the actual series itself wasn't particularly interesting, but they're using the Edge of kind of moniker as well. So you've got Edge of Spider-Verse, which is where our, our old pal Spider-Gwen came from. You have Edge of Spider-Geddon here as well. So I wonder if it's going to be these kind of one-shotty kind of things that will then, yeah, tell us more about where some of our favorite Spider-Heroes are going. Will we get more Miles? They've got a announce something we've got the annual announcement which we've already discussed but there's got to be something more coming up with with miles rallis i don't know i wonder how long he's going to be on hiatus for will it spin out of this do we have to wait until september to find out who knows who, who knows? knows but I, lo I love these little sort of sidesteps they're like almost like little workshops or labs to kind of play around with ideas and <laughs> you're not really bound to a whole lot of continuity so looking forward to this I, the, the art looks fun the concept sounds pretty entertaining so we shall see and on the miles tip we also have the ultimate omnibus available and there are a few things in this world i enjoy more than beautiful omnibus comics i have the um i know brian and i talked about it before the superior foes of spider-man hardcover uh matt fractions hawkeye run the uh, omnibus of that as well kieran gillen and mckelvey's young avengers marvel do amazing omnibus books so I am very, very excited to 
check out some Miles Morales omnibus action. Yeah, it's great to see this finally out. And this, uh, as the title implies, collects Miles's ultimate stories. So the original... The good ones. Yeah. <laughs> the, so Ultimate Comic Spider-Man. And then, of course, the run where we kicked off this show, Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man. And it already uh, got some reviews on uh, Amazon, or at least the the American version, <laughs> including one where somebody felt compelled to say, this isn't the real Spider-Man. This is some PC, you know... Oh. Yeah. BS agenda, blah, 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 wah, wah. Don't get me started on that, Brian. You know what I'm like. Like I saw that, like, oh, no, poor fanboy, f*** you, whatever, so. <laughs> <laughs> this true Spider-Man fans don't, like, get over yourself. Goodbye. So in the Omnibus, you've got, yeah, all of Ultimate Comics. Uh, some You've got Spider-Man, number one, in there as well. Cataclysm. Ultimate Spider-Man 200 and the aforementioned Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man run and a couple of other bits and bobs from the Ultimate Universe kind of sprinkled in there as well. Excellent. So you're looking at kind of 50 plus issues of comics there. That's that's a that's a heck of an omnibus. Definitely. And as Jack mentioned, these editions are beautifully presented. So for you collectors out there, that is, that is one to keep an eye out for. As we're getting ready to say goodbye to Spider-Gwen, we had... Some surprising and fantastic and exciting news um, about one of the co-creators, and that is Robbie Rodriguez is not going anywhere anytime soon. He is returning to help relaunch DC Vertigo with a new book called Goddess Mode. I am excited. <laughs> Need- needless to say. He's posted some of the uh, the concept art for it on his Twitter and Instagram, and it sounds pretty cool. Goddess Mode from writer Zoe Quinn, with art by Robbie Rodriguez, will debut in December. In the near future, where all of humanity's needs are administered by a godlike AI, it's one young woman's horrible job to do tech support on it. But when Cassandra finds herself violently drawn into a hidden and deadly digital world beneath our own, she discovers a group of superpowered women and horrific monsters locked in a secret war for the cheat codes to reality. Sounds like mind-bending good fun. Yeah, and I know Robbie's pretty good at mind-bending stuff from his time on uh, FBP with some weird physics-bending, universe-twisting stuff going on there. So I think we might have a similar kind of thing going on. It looks like he's taken his his old buddy Rico Renzi with him as well because those two guys are just the perfect match. So, yeah, the, the little kind of teaser images we've got here are just absolutely gorgeous and... Pretty much what you expect from, from those guys. Lots of sweeping epic cityscapes and neon pinks and stuff like that. I'm, I'm on board. I'm excited. And uh, for those of you who don't know Zoe Quinn, she's a video game developer. Um, you may know her from Depression Quest, which is probably her most famous uh, project. Or, unfortunately, you may know her from getting caught up in the whole Gamergate thing. Speaking of uh, people who call people cucks and sjws and stuff <laughs> <laughs> good lord we should probably move on to what jason latour described as perhaps their riskiest and most ambitious issue ever spider gwen number 33 is it truly darkest before the dawn i, I would anticipate that spider gwen number 34 is gonna be blindingly bright because man this is heavy you'd hope so wouldn't you we need some levity after this <laughs> Jack, you want to catch us up on the uh, the main action, then we'll dig into it? Absolutely, I'll do my very, very best. So, Spider-Gwen, issue 33. 
We open with She-Hulk, aka Jennifer Walters, stepping up to the plate to represent Gwen. Jennifer sits down and has a heart-to-heart with Gwen in her cell, and she being She-Hulk, she can actually kind of relate to Gwen's dual personalities and the responsibility that comes with living a double life. Ultimately, unfortunately, the jury find Gwen guilty, and she makes the long walk down a lonely corridor to her life in prison. Needless to say, things don't go too well for her once she's actually in prison, and she faces Adrian Toomes, who you may know as the Vulture, and his many goons. They start causing a lot of trouble for the latest inmate, and things are eventually broken up, and eventually, beaten and bruised, poor Gwen is visited by her old pal Captain America, Samantha, and they have a really nice little heart-to-heart conversation. Sam reassures her and says, hey, you could go and visit George, and Gwen thinks, hmm, no, I think I'll leave it for now, but... We crossfade over to George and we have a brilliant parallel of the two of them, lonely in their cells. But George isn't alone in his cell. He has a couple of little eight-legged friends there with him as well. And we end with, to be concluded. Whew. No superheroics in this one, Brian. No. This is, this is all about characters. This is all about... I mean, we talked about it. It's power and responsibility. It's identity. It's all the themes this series has been building up to and and coming back to over the many, many issues. It's all in this issue as well. It's a real kind of culmination, and it feels like a penultimate issue in that way. And it, it starts with the cover image, which is really striking. I mean, Gwen on the scales of justice there and justice is blind. And you think about what she just went through with Matt Murdock of all people, a blind attorney uh, <laughs> who is, you know, also clinically insane. Um, but I love everything about this cover. I mean, just everything from the spider Gwen purple and the webs behind it to the kind of sinister expression on justice's face. Who It's usually done neutrally because it, you know, doesn't have any emotion. It's just, weighing the situation and how the the scales are tipped with spider gwen being this this huge weight yeah that was the most interesting thing for me for that cover is that seemingly just the mask and the hood of spider gwen outweighs gwen herself yeah just the the symbol of it and it's it's exactly. a whole like kudos to robbie because that's a whole story in and of itself like really really well executed I'd mentioned earlier, like, this is a heavy story. Like, when it came out, I, I think I had tweeted, like, hey, what a lousy week it's been. But good thing is we've got some escapism in the form of our new comics waiting for us. Like, let's check out Spider-Gwen 33. Spider-Gwen's always fun, right? It's all yeah. and colorful and Earth-65 is wacky and oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> it does start out great just seeing Jennifer Walters show up as She-Hulk and just the... It's just slipped in there really quickly, like the revelation that she's not a gamma irradiated, you know, superhero. She's a pro wrestler who likes to wear green paint and work out. And for some reason, she's an attorney because in a universe where Howard the Duck is president, like, why not? And so I, (laughs) I love that. Like, that's one of those, like. Blink and you miss it surprises, but it, at least it started out really upbeat and, and ridiculous and fun. And speaking of wrestlers, she like directly quotes, funnily enough, Hulk, Hulk Hogan, about the, the 24-inch pythons that <laughs> he, he would always espouse back in the 80s and early 90s. I love just, I know how much Jason and Robbie and the guys love pro wrestling, 
So just having those little moments, I know our pals Kyle and Omar will be very excited as well. So uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it's like you said, it's kind of a weird little moment of levity, just because she shows up and is not the She-Hulk we know from the main Marvel continuity. She's this painted pro wrestler version of her because why not? Right. <laughs> her dialogue with Gwen is helpful because it although it you know it, it kind of establishes like what's happening here and why the jury is going to find her guilty in this notion of the potential of spider woman is what they're afraid of it's almost and, a minority report style thing of, yeah it kind of is like yeah, they don't you know it's not addictive crime technology it's not it's really not about you it's this persona that you have and what it's capable of and do we want that running around in the public if it's not going to be accountable and that's why she's in jail and then you get that beautiful title card page which is like it just reminded me of like mr robot just like a big bold visual with the life of gwen stacy captioning on it that or it could be an album cover it, it looked great <laughs> yeah absolutely and i appreciate the fact that we don't linger on the trial too much because i feel like that could be quite kind of uh taking up page space and we we haven't got much long left as we said this is a penultimate issue we don't want to spend five pages recapping what we already know and i think it's a really good decision by jason and the team to just let basically jennifer narrate the whole thing as she's discussing what's going to happen with gwen and rather than delving deep and being like oh here's the defense here's the prosecution blah 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 and going back and forth we summarize it really quickly and we get right to the verdict. And like you said, Brian, the verdict leads perfectly into just one word, guilty. And then Gwen is alone in that box, that cage once again. And then the the transition to the next couple of pages is... You, you mentioned dark. Like, this is visually dark as well. The only bright things are the orange jumpsuits of the inmates. Everything else is grey and smeared and dirty and just you know prison like it makes sense it's such a a lighting shift from what we used to with the the neon pinks and the craziness and the kind of epic cityscapes that i'm always uh complimenting robbie and rico for creating and then we're in these tight little long corridors just lined with shield guards and stuff it's just it's depressing, man. It's not a nice place to be. And they really convey that really well, I think. It just, it mirrors the action perfectly in the script because it's just, it's relentless and brutal. She's barely there, you know, a day and she's already being beaten up. And first, you know, she's, there's the running with Titania and then like this whole scenario with the Serpent Society, which I guess buys time from adrian tomb somehow which that was another surprise like that's a that's a almost a deep cut callback to the very beginning of the series when we didn't know like who the recurring cast of villains were going to be and this was before it sort of fully narrowed onto matt as the main bad guy but the vulture was kind of the silly villain that she was mocking in the beginning like even his taste in comic books he was a steve dinko <laughs> fan and she didn't particularly care for that so um, but yeah, to have him come back and now in this position of power, I mean, it's just like, how much lower can you push this character? And 
the creators seem to think, hey, we can we can still we can still go lower. We've um, got some depths we can plumb yet. Don't worry. Yeah, but I will say <laughs> that panel where he makes his entrance and it's the close up of his teeth. Oh. And he says like, and you'll get it one of these days. Like heebie jeebies. Like, like my skin was crawling when I saw that. It was amazing. So creepy. So creepy. And like I, I said, there's quite a volatile, like explosive interaction with Titania, and then he is just quiet and looming and lingering and creepy in the shadows. Ugh, yeah, makes my skin crawl. And she has she Gwen makes it clear like she could use her powers and the venom creature is like constantly sizzling at the tips of her fingers like she's tempted like she she could let loose and take care of all of this and it's just her kind of internal struggle like no this is there's a reason I came in here I have to own this situation I have to be worthy of these abilities and taking the easy route is really just going to prove everyone else's point for me. So that was tough to see because then she still had to take the beatings in the meantime. Yeah. There's a really important kind of phrase in there. I think right after the kind of, as you said, that the, the venom symbiote is just hissing and dying to get out and kick some butt in the name of vengeance. And Gwen realizes, no, this, this is why I'm in here. Acting on these impulses is why I belong in here. And that sense of belonging and whether you agree with Gwen or not, I don't necessarily agree with her for, no, I'm kind of on her side in a Gwen and and Spider-Gwen are a positive thing for Earth-65, but it's a difficult situation to be in when she has caused... A lot of damage, a lot of trouble, and there's potential for the Venom symbiote to really take over and turn Gwenum into something unpleasant. And her kind of coming to terms with that has been a, such a huge part of the last couple of arcs of this book. And that's that's why I belong here. And of course, it's a classic thing in comics of, of bolding important words and phrases and stuff. And the bold, of course has to be the word belong in that panel. Yeah. And that just really resonated with me of how how low Gwen is feeling of, I deserve to be here. This is where I belong. I am a prisoner. I am dangerous to the outside world. And her kind of, I don't know, coming to terms and kind of dealing with that is a really kind of powerful moment. And instead of it being, it start, like I said, it starts off kind of action-packed with a few fights, but those few panels are, are just quiet and her talking to herself in her own head and coming to terms with what she's done and what where she is now and it's great character acting from robbie here in the first half of the book just her posture and just this look these expressions on her face that go between like steely resolve and just contemplating the situation just trying to stay strong because they're she's really being pushed and before we get to the transition it's like we haven't seen anything yet it's really evocative stuff. It's it's really tough to read. Absolutely. And you mentioned that's where Robbie Rodriguez um, steps off for this issue. We have the return, once again, of Mr. Chris Visions back in the Spider-Gwen canon, I suppose. And, yeah, the, basically the entire second half of this issue is all Chris. And we get some, uh, some more Vulture action, some more Titania action, but 
what I really want to focus on, and I think this is something you would like to talk about as well, Brian, is that transition itself with the eye and the camera and how powerful that is and how, you know, we talk a lot about how difficult it is for one artist to transition to another mid-issue and how a lot of the times that really doesn't work. And whether it visually works is a different discussion, but thematically that transition mid-issue, literally sort of, what is that, 12, 13, 14 pages in, something like that, is absolutely fantastic and perfectly fits with again how Gwen is feeling in this situation and knowing that she belongs here and then she says she says I belong here and I never deserved this power so she's putting herself down even more yeah I mean this is not the first time that uh Chris has been a part of this series and we're definitely fans of his artwork and I mean, if you're listening to our show and, and you know, you have a sense of the behind the scenes um, for the production of the series. Yeah. Like we see a lot of fill-in artists pop up uh, over over the course of the, the run. The level of success between the transitions can be, that's a tricky thing to manage. Um, some are more successful than others. I think uh, because this issue was so intense, I was just immersed in it. Um, so when the transition does happen, the first time through, I, I found it really jarring. I love Chris's style. It's the opposite of Robbie's in a lot of way, like thicker lines and kind of softer character designs compared to Robbie's sort of sharp, tighter lines. But as you mentioned, Jack, like the point that they chose where we switch perspectives, she's looking at the camera and then we spin around and let's see what the camera's seeing. What uh, Chris Visions did here was rendering that camera as like a giant eyeball Thematically, I thought that was so well executed and it clicked for me the second time I, I went through the issue and I was ready for the switch. I'm silently nodding in agreement. Yeah. Here, by the way. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's a different approach and that that does take a little getting used to. I think it works. It, it's, it's settled in for me, but I, I will say that the first time through it was really jarring for lack of a better word i mean just even the way the figures are drawn like when is little i don't know if stockier is the word i'm looking for but you know just the way she's kind of like when she kind has of a rounder faced yeah a few of the character designs like changed not significantly but reasonably particularly in vulture he's gone from kind of like creepy looking dude to he looks like a bird man now like right it, um, we talk about how stylized robbie's uh, artwork is but chris has really kind of gone quite stylized with a lot of character designs here as well and and vulture in particular especially when he leans in and like sneers in gwen's face in a in a couple of pages time he is just gross looking he's <laughs> an awful creepy dude with a, a hooked nose and like elf ears goblin ears whatever you'd call that like yeah, yeah. he is not not a pleasant looking guy and you really have kind of yeah a, a shift in art where I, I totally agree with you as i said it was quite jarring to start off with but they placed it very nicely that i think it, it worked well to kind of catch up and, and keep the the momentum of the issue going i love that chris got an action scene as well where gwen comes up with a plan of sorts um and she decides to take on titania and kind of picks a fight and <laughs> manages to sing a little lionel richie a little 80s throwback uh for her <laughs> as well um 
But man, I think his art was also really well suited to this particular moment because I didn't expect it to go the way it did, where she just gets beaten up again and again and again. And it's really brutal and harsh. And I think his kind of approach with like, as I mentioned earlier, like the thicker lines, like really suited to just the force and the power of the scene and Titania just laying went out and the injuries get worse and worse. It's that it straddles that weird line between just like cartoony over the top and just like over the top, like too much to bear almost. And there's the panel of the guys saying like, I can't watch this. And like, I felt the same way. I, I really hope this ends because it's just too much at this point for me as a reader. Yeah, absolutely. It really gets, I don't know, this isn't necessarily the most brutal scene we've seen in this series. It, it's it's certainly up there for me in terms of its real kind of visceral. And it, it, it even, in ter- like a lot of it, I say visceral, maybe that's not the right word, because a lot of it is not actually on panel. You're seeing the final yeah, blow yeah. of every encounter, but it's the repetitiveness. The next day, and the next day, and the next, and the next. So it's just this you really get the sense that there is no relenting from Titania. There's no give from Gwen and just, yeah, it's an absolute slog. And and her eye like swollen shut. It's the aftermath too. I think that's really unsettling. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got Titania dropping an elbow, then stomping, then this bloodied fist and the final panel there. Oh yeah. Br- brutal stuff. And then, the aforementioned creepy Adrian leering in there to kind of, I don't know, adds insult to injury almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is uh, poor Gwen. She is poor Gwen. a rough time of it. And it's, it's six months in before Captain America shows up. And to s- not quite save the day, but she, she arrives with a very interesting offer. And there's almost this weird kind of like suicide squad parallel that she's offering almost isn't it yeah so it's weird kind of do this for us and we'll knock a few charges off your record or that kind of thing which is a weird turning shield into the suicide squad which is a weird kind of (laughs) weird kind of twist it is and it it but like in another surprise like it's such an interesting, intriguing idea that immediately gets discarded because Gwen says, no, not doing yep. that. That like In any other series, they'll be like, oh, right, that's the next book. That's what they're going to do. That's the, right, that's the next, the next, the next book. Or- the next creative team is going to be doing Earth-65, uh, I don't know what you call it, what's the Marvel equivalent of the Suicide Squad? Uh, <laughs> Secret Avengers or whatever. <laughs> like right. Secret Warriors, whatever you want to call it, kind of thing. And you've got Frank Castle, Kitty Pride, the the other older version of Logan we saw there before as well, and what a cool team that would be! I I was like, yeah, I'm in I'm in for this. This sounds great. Uh, no, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. That I'm glad they didn't because, as we've said, this book is always so unpredictable, and they they purposefully dodge and duck and dive around the superhero tropes we've come to learn over the you know 50 years that spider-man and his fellow spider characters have been around and the fact that jason and robbie and rico don't essentially don't take the easy way out of like 
yep, this is where we're going with this. Maybe they will. Maybe it culminates with her signing that deal or whatever, but I doubt it. Because like you said, it's over so quickly and Gwen dismisses it so definitively, I think, that it's a, it's a great little swerve and, and really says more about where Gwen is and her kind of relationship with Sam in that moment as well. And it was a little... I mean, it was a wonderfully subtle touch, but just seeing that Cindy had gifted Gwen the hang in there poster. (laughs) (laughs) Six months. And it was like, oof. Yeah. I mean, what do you make of Gwen's sort of mission statement about a broken system and this notion that she's the only one that can see the benefit of it and this this whole accountability thing? I'm not sure. I don't necessarily see what she can do from in there, if that makes sense. It's, it's a weird kind of thing. I understand, like, the system is broken and that kind of thing. And But maybe going out and doing something outside of there would actually lead towards fixing the system a little bit more than kind of being stuck in there. It feels like after the relentless six months that we get a glimpse at there seems like no hope in here yet she still has hope and i i don't see it (laughs) because it was so brutal and so just depressing and deflating yeah like putting herself through this waiting for a second chance that she wants to make the most of but has she what second chances are there like what i think she's still waiting for it and I think yeah. that's why that last panel of where she says, you know, when it does come, I'm going to do it the right way. Like, that's when her dad's eye opens up and he's back. Yeah. yeah. So whatever, you know, however these worlds are going to collide. I don't know. I, I have given up a long time ago trying to predict where this is going <laughs> to go. <laughs> yeah. And we've got the final issue. Like, it's the conclusion. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be uh, something that's really going to cap off i think everything we talked about like we talked about how many of the themes recur back into this issue that have been around since day one with this character and i really feel like we're gonna get more of that in issue 34 but i I still don't know where this is going it's ridiculous how have we not you and i have read every single issue of spider gwen published and we have no idea where it's going still. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna make a guess. I think there's another, like, ridiculous curveball waiting for us. Because I was thinking, like, we have this Council of Gwen's kind of thing hovering in the background. Realizing, you know, all, they're trying to put the destinies of all the Gwen Stacys, you know, on the correct path. Or you should be able to live whatever possibility life has in store for you. I could also see this just, like jumping way into the future and having the Gwens kind of recap, oh, and this is how the story of Gwen 65 ended. Oh, interesting. Or just switching to Earth 8 or bringing the Watchers back. I mean, and this whole idea that we were going through a couple issues ago with Schrodinger's cat and like the Watchers setting destiny just by the act of observation. I could see that happening too. It's like maybe, yeah, we just spent, watch Gwen go through, you know, six months of hell and now we just kind of jump to the the good part i could see that that's a that's a guess i hadn't even occurred to me that they would do a time skip so you've you've blown my mind once again (laughs) (laughs) i don't even want to predict it at this point can't even possibly fathom it i say all that like i still expect to be like fully surprised like it's not (laughs) 
no way this is going to, like, it hasn't been predictable yet. Why start now? So. Exactly. Exactly. Did you happen to read the Bodega Bandit character bio? I certainly did. So I can I just say I love the notion that he is Jameson's son, like <laughs> former astronaut John Jameson, who came back and just kind of went nuts. Yeah, that was a weird kind of a weird kind of twist, and <laughs> and uh, was it the the high? They say about the highest odds in. The office pool suggests that he's the son of J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> like, no one would ever guess that in a million years. That, or he's just a joke that the creators of Earth 65 still enjoy, even though everyone else <laughs> has moved on from it a long time ago. I did get the bookend of levity that <laughs> I desperately needed uh, with that closing section. We even got the mention of Rick Jones and his uh, yeah, and secret, secret wars. Secret wars. <laughs> He's a free, of course. He's a frequent poster on uh, Info. I mean, uh, Secret Wars. So. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise there. Oh man! So the penultimate issue. What a read. I'm tired after that. You know what I mean? It's not because of the fast-paced nature that we talk about regularly on this uh, on this series, but yeah, just the relentless <laughs> depression and brutality more than anything else. Yep. Absolutely. And I say that whilst laughing because otherwise I will cry. <laughs> no, I I can fully appreciate what Jason meant when he said it was a, a risky and ambitious issue. This this tried something really unusual and daring and bold. And even though we just finished this whole big discussion about it, like I still need some time to think about it because this was mm. this was heavy. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if you did have to summarize Spider-Gwen issue 33 in three words, Brian, how would you do it? Yeah, I think uh, I'd use some words that have already popped up in our discussion, and I will say harsh, relentless, brutal. <laughs> I had relentless and brutal in mind. Yeah, hey, hey, it is what it is, right? So. <laughs> I was going to go for deflating, relentless, and brutal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Clearly, we're on the same page. Oy yeah, vey. definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah. I don't think we've ever had a time where we've had two hosts pick exactly the same words. Same we've, words. <laughs> we've certainly gone along similar lines. Yeah, I think that that if both of us think like that, I think that's a fairly definitive <laughs> <laughs> summation of the issue. Then I think. Whew. Uh well, listeners, perhaps you're on the same page, perhaps not. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin, over on Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast, or on Instagram at Ultimate underscore Spin underscore Podcast, using the hashtag SpiderGwen, Miles Morales, and Spider-Man. Um, you can always visit our website at ultimatespinpodcast.com and just click on the Talk to Us button. That's another way to reach us. And if you want to catch up with older episodes, maybe you're going to pick up that Miles Morales omnibus and want to go back and read along, find us wherever good podcasts are sold, just search for Ultimate Spin. And, yeah, if you want to talk to Brian and I and our fellow spider-themed podcasters, our good friends over at Amazing Spider Talk and Untold Talks and the Ultimate Spin crew, we're all together in the Amazing Spider Slack. Slack is basically a chat program you can have on your on your phone i think does it work on laptops as well i think it there is a desktop version of it as well and uh yeah we talk about spider 
films. We're talking about the upcoming Mile stuff. There's been a great discussion about that recently. Talking about Gwen, talking about topics we've been covering on the podcasts and basically everything Spider-Man. And if you're a fan and you're looking for a cool community of people to come and chat about that kind of thing, I highly recommend coming and joining our Slack and talking to people you've heard of like me and Brian and Dan Gavosden and Mark and Kane and the guys from All Told Talks. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool way for all of us to kind of get together and talk about these various spider outings in various media. And uh, yeah, it's it's a cool community. Come and join us. And speaking of Dan and Mark, be sure to visit superiorspidertalk.com, which has published its final review. Mark wrote a great review of Amazing Spider-Man number 801, a beautiful issue by Dan Slott and Marcos Martin. They are moving to focus uh, mainly on audio content, which of course includes the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk podcast, which is in the middle of its second season, and the Untold Talks of Spider-Man uh, where I just actually guested on the most recent episode. We fired up the Wayback Machine to the distant 1980s to look at some undiscovered classic Web of Spider-Man issues. So you can go spearspidertalk.com and check all that stuff out. And if you want to catch up with more of what we're up to, Jack, where can the listeners find you? I'm JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Uh, if you want to listen to any more of my podcasts, I appear on the Super 8-Bit Power Hour with some local friends of mine talking about entertainment and pop culture and video games and stuff like that uh we have a comic book spin-off of that show called four color corner and of course i host the sequelizers which is my film podcast all about fixing the bad sequels that followed the good first film so we're just about to wrap up our third season of that and uh we're coming towards the end we've just had a very controversial episode about shrek 2 which i didn't think was going to be as controversial as it was, but apparently there are some diehard Shrek fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought it? And yeah, we've got two more films to cover before we wrap up season three. So it's a good time to come and join us and uh, discuss terrible films and why they need fixing. <laughs> and uh, how about you, Brian? How can people follow your adventures across podcasting and the internet? Oh, as for me, Twitter, Instagram, other podcasts, all that good stuff, just head on over to project37.net. That's it for us for now, but coming up, oh my gosh, Jack. What, Brian? What could it possibly be? The final chapter. Of what? Spider-Gwen. Dun, dun, dun. The trial of Spider-Woman concludes. For months, Gwen Stacy has been fighting the world of Spider-Woman. Now... The mask is off, and she's got to face the music as Gwen Stacy. That gives nothing away. Nothing away. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> That's essentially the same synopsis for the issue we just read. <laughs> so. <laughs> Deep breaths. We're, we're going to get through it somehow. We're nearly there, folks. We're nearly there. Somehow. Oh, but... At the end of the day, we are all fans and our sincere thanks to the creative team for their hard work in making these characters and their books happen. And of course, our thanks to you for making the time to listen to us ramble on about comics. We are not going anywhere just yet. The road to episode 100 continues. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you very soon on The Ultimate Spin. Oh.